Welcome to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter, here with Susanna Greer. Hi, Dr. Greer. Hey, Joe. So you're about to hear a conversation between two of our colleagues, uh, David Sampson and Dr. Len Lichtenfeld. David's a former journalist. He heads up media relations for ACS, all the medical and science news coming out of the American Cancer Society. Dr. Lichtenfeld is our deputy chief medical officer. So Susanna, got a lot to digest these days, and Dr. Lynn is here to help us do that. Absolutely, Joe. So we, we really wanted to talk to Dr. Lynn because uh, for lots of reasons. I mean, first of all, there's so much information out there, and it's a lot of it's confusing, it's overwhelming, and we want our listeners to know that the American Cancer Society is a resource for all of us in these challenging times. And then I really wanted to kind of get a deep dive into what are the risks for cancer patients, for their caregivers and their families in the disease. So we'll start with that. And then on a brighter note, what can we do to help, right? What can we all do to impact the way that cancer patients um, and cancer survivors can mitigate um, the challenges that COVID-19 presents. And I think that you're absolutely going to love this conversation. Uh, David did a beautiful job of really guiding us through um, a conversation with Lynn where we understand why cancer patients are at risk and then really ending on a lovely note of Despite this risk that cancer patients have, we are all able to impact um, the the effect that COVID-19 will have on cancer patients just by the way we conduct our lives right now. So I think for a really, really challenging time, um, this is a lovely message of keeping our humanity and our compassion for each other in really sharp focus. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about a really important issue for the general public and particularly for people with a history of cancer. There's a lot of information going out there and going around. What should we believe? Who should we believe right now, particularly people with cancer? Dave, that, that's a really great question because there are a lot of sources of information and choosing the right one is critically important. We need information. We need accurate information. We need to know what the science says, and we need to know what we don't know. And I think with more information, people in a difficult situation will at least have the confidence that everyone's uh, taking their interests to heart. Resources like the American Cancer Society, uh, resources like reputable uh, news networks and, and newspapers are doing a reasonably good job for the most part in giving accurate information. Uh, and Unfortunately, this is such a rapidly developing situation, there's no playbook. There's no uh, answer book that people can go to and say, this is what you have to do and this is what you don't have to do. So you have to get to places where you're comfortable with the information, where you're, where you're comfortable with the source, where you're comfortable with the reputation of the person who's giving you the information and their track record in this particular arena. That's you, what we all need to have in order to be to come out of this successfully. You said something interesting there. You said we need to know what we don't know, which is, you know, here we are, an informational resource for, for people with cancer and their loved ones and their caregivers. There's a lot we don't know, isn't there? There's a lot we don't know. In fact, there's very little we know about the impact of this virus on patients with cancer. 
This is new. It's called the novel coronavirus because it's novel. It's brand new. And we have a little information coming to us out of China about what happens to patients with cancer. But when we turn to the, the, the sources of information, people like myself, for example, or cancer.org is another example, uh, other professional organizations providing information like the American Society of Clinical Oncology. We're all trying to fill in the blanks. Most of the attention right now is being given at a very high general population level. So we, we know this is a serious situation. We know that people over the age of 60 and as we get even older are at the greatest risk. We know that as a group, patients with cancer or other uh, serious chronic illnesses are at greater risk. And that's what we know. And we're more than that, it's, it's still an open book. And we're, we're going to learn a lot and we'll know more the next time, but we still don't know as much as we need to know today. Based on what we know, we know that cancer patients, people with compromised immune systems are at risk. Do we know why that is? And does that give us any clues into how to minimize the effect of coronavirus? So unfortunately, and this is very difficult to information to share with people, the, the mortality rate, the death rate from this virus in patients with cancer is higher than it is for most other groups. That's one thing we do know. And in large part, it's because of, probably because of two factors. Factor number one is that patients with cancer tend to be older to begin with, and they tend to have other uh, what we call comorbid diseases. The second problem is that patients with cancer don't have normally functioning immune systems. And what does that mean? That means when somebody uh, is younger, for example, and they get a virus infection, they can mount a response, you know, their body, they, they pick up the virus, they process the virus, they make antibodies, proteins to attack the virus, and that's the end of the story. As we get older, that, that machinery doesn't work quite as well. Add to that cancer treatment. So even surgery uh, or chemotherapy or radiation therapy causes that immune system not to function as well as it should, which is one of the reasons, incidentally, that people can get cancer in the first place. So, and, then, and within the cancer population, there are different gradations. So some people may have a very simple, you know, not to minimize it, but a very simple breast cancer surgery, and that's all that happens to them. At the other spectrum, we have patients who get cell transplants, patients who get CAR-T therapy. Those patients are deliberately made uh, immuno, immunosuppressed so they can get their treatment. And, you know, the, the reality is that, that that's the situation that makes this, this uh, uh, what's called SARS-CoV-2, that's the name of the virus, coronavirus, or the disease COVID-19, that's what makes it so much more serious. What can we do to mitigate that risk? You, you asked me that question. The, the best mitigation is to avoid people who might bring the virus into your presence. So, uh, and that's much easier said than done. And of course, all the standard rules that are out there, avoid large crowds, wash your hands and, and wash your hands and wash your hands. It's such simple advice, so important. Keep your hands away from your face. Avoid entry of that virus into your system. Try to stay away from crowds and basically try to stay away from people so long as you're undergoing active cancer treatment. I, 
it's it, it's difficult advice. No one wants to hear it, but it might be the best thing you can do to avoid serious problems. Right. And we can do this with our own families. I was talking to my 90-year-old mother last night and um, by nature, someone at risk and, you know, advising her to minimize contact, which she has done. And I heard my brother talking in the in the room and I I made sure that she had him wash his hands while he was there. And then I heard another brother come in while we were talking and my mother yell out, wash your hands, Paul. So <laughs> these are the these are the kinds of things, do you think, that cancer patients, should we pay attention to, I don't want to overemphasize, but every moment in a way has as a moment to pay attention to? Absolutely. So let, let me share with you something that I heard the other night that I think is really important. Uh, Sanjay Gupta is the medical correspondent on CNN, and I've been watching CNN as one of those information resources in, in my everyday activities that I try to keep up with what's happening with respect to this virus. He made a statement which I think is so critically important for all of us to pay attention to. Never has there been a time when my health or your health depends so much on others around us doing the right thing. Let me say that again. My health, your health, whoever is listening to this, this podcast, your health depends so much on what the people around you do. And so that's part of that thought of working together will come out of this okay. Cancer patients, older, older folks, some of whom are not, aren't patients necessarily, they need to be especially careful. And those around them who care about them, need to be especially careful not to expose them to risk. Hand this, washing, covering sneezes, you know, all that sort of thing. It, it's not just for the, for the books. It's important in survival right now. This is one of the challenges that people in public health have had to explain to particularly people at lower risk that they need to pay attention for the health of others. You know, every year when flu season comes around, we encourage uh, uh, regular old people and, and people who know people with cancer or they don't to get their flu vaccines that we all contribute. It's a, it's a loving thing you can do. And that's the same case here. Could you tell us a little bit about the idea of flattening the curve and what that means about the healthcare system and why we all have a responsibility to flatten the curve? When we have a virus like this, what we do today, literally what we're doing today, will make the difference about how quickly these cases accelerate in our communities. And right now we're on a path for very rapid acceleration. When you have rapid acceleration, you have a huge overtaxation on healthcare facilities. We only have so many ICU beds. We only have so many hospital beds. We only have so many ventilators. So when we when we take when we what we call we call it mitigation when we take make efforts to reduce the risk of the virus in the community that rapid escalation isn't quite so rapid it's more flat it, it, it increases at a much slower rate and what that in turn means is that the number of the, the demands that are made on our limited healthcare resources are more controllable. They allow more people to get access to the treatments they need. There's a sad reality about this epidemic right now and starting to creep into the common discussion. We may run into a situation as they're running into in Italy right now 
where doctors and others have to make ethical decisions who they will treat and who they won't because they don't have enough resources to treat everybody. If we slow the increase of the virus, if we temper that rapid rate, if we make it, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to be a, a shorter period of time in months. It may be even a little longer, but it means that we won't have so many people coming into our hospital so quickly and more people will be able to survive. And, and, and God willing, we won't have to make those terrible decisions about somebody who has a disease or is too old, putting them on the side and not treating them and unfortunately allowing them to die because we can't give them the care they need. We don't want to be in that position as a country. None of us want that. So, so literally not taking that trip, not going to that party for someone who doesn't see, them, see themselves at particular risk can literally help the entire nation and the entire healthcare system. It's a really, really remarkable time. And that, that quote from Dr. Gupta was really terrific. Len, I've known you for, I don't know, a dozen years. And one of my favorite things to do is to come over to your house with friends for dinner. Are these the kind of things people should give up, particularly people who have loved ones with cancer? That's a very difficult question, and it's also a, a very emotional question. Uh, one of the concerns that I have, you know, let me, let me say something I think is important. We, I, I live in Atlanta, and, we are, and, and throughout the country, we're seeing incredible responses to this epidemic by cancellation of events and moving people out of large gatherings. I mean, I think that's absolutely So forget whether we have a, a federal initiative telling us to do it. We're doing it city by city, state by state, and person by person. We are putting that distancing into place in our everyday work. But socialization, what suffers in all of this as we start to pull away from each other is what, what I refer to as the socializa socialization piece. We go to work, we're with friends, we're with colleagues, we're around people, we bump into people, we go to, well, we go to the subway or whatever. But coming over to dinner among friends, what are we going to do about that? I don't have an easy answer to that. What I will say is that if you have friends coming over for dinner and there's someone who's on active cancer treatment or recently completed their treatment or perhaps has had treatment in the past that was pretty toxic, patients with lymphoma, leukemia, for example, may have had a transplant. So number one, let's think twice about it. But most important, if you're sick, you have an upper respiratory or lower pneumonia-like symptoms or upper respiratory flu-like symptoms, maybe, not maybe, you shouldn't be around that there. So have the dinner next week or two weeks from now and not tonight. But inevitably, we're still going to want to be social with each other in small groups. And we're going to have to think carefully about if the other people are okay and if they're okay, well, we're not, you know, not to have that dinner is, uh, you know, is a tough decision. And probably having some of those dinners in small groups in your home with people are not, uh, not at risk uh, is not a bad idea. We, we, you know, we have techniques today. It's interesting because years ago we didn't have uh, Facebook. We didn't have ways of looking at each other over computer lines. It's not ideal. But sometimes maybe we should go to some of those group chats and, and get together as friends by that mechanism, at least for now. We will get through this. We don't know. I don't know. No one can predict how long it's going to take. The acute problem going to be three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. 
I heard somebody estimate a much longer time on, on, on television yesterday. We don't know the acute phase, but let's assume it's going to be a matter of weeks. Let's put our, our heads together and think what we need to do today to get through that couple of weeks and get through it safely. Maybe it's not taking a trip. Maybe it's not taking a dinner. Maybe it's not taking, having a party. Maybe it's the little things we do today that will make the difference for us four to six weeks from now. And maybe we'll be better off. But once again, those are not easy decisions, and everyone's going to make the decision that's right for them. I want to talk a little bit about cancer patients undergoing treatment. People undergoing treatment are in, I can't even imagine the types of fears that they have right now. What can you tell people undergoing treatment about routine appointments, follow-up appointments, going in for treatment? How secure should they feel? What kind of precautions can they take getting to those appointments? What kind of symptoms do they obviously have to be on the lookout for? But, but really, what implications does the appearance of this epidemic, not the virus in, in a patient, but the epidemic itself have on cancer treatment? So let's take what may be the easiest question first. If you have a routine six-month follow-up appointment or three-month follow-up appointment and you're feeling fine and you're done your treatment and they're just going to do the routine type of check, call your, your clinician, call their office and ask them whether you need to come in now um, and, and maybe see if it can't be delayed a bit. And in fact, as I mentioned before about you know, uh, you know, online means of communicating, uh, maybe do a virtual visit instead of having to go into the doctor's office. We can do that also these days. And uh, it's not as ideal necessarily for cancer patients, but it's an option. If you're a patient who's initiating chemotherapy and it may be a preventive or what we call an adjuvant chemotherapy, ask the doctor whether this is the right time to start. Now, there are some time windows that are important, and you may have to start, but at least ask the question. For patients who are undergoing active treatment because they have active disease, they need to get their treatment. And hopefully, hopefully, the, the cancer, whatever cancer center, cancer program, whatever office you're dealing with for your cancer care has provided you with a phone number that you can call to get a hold of someone on your care team to answer your questions. And if you have any doubts about going in, call them and ask. So if you, ha if you have, and, and this is, I think, critically important, if you have symptoms of a mild upper respiratory infection and, or, or pneumonia for that matter, please call ahead and ask them if they want you to come in and if you, if you do come in, where they want you to go because they may have a different office or a different room or a different place for you to enter that building. And ultimately, it's going to be a decision between you and your clinician and your care team, what you do. I, I, I wish I had an easier answer. Um, you know, for the, one, the situation that really concerns me the most are people who have to take public transportation to get to their cancer care. Um, subways, buses. I mean, that, that is, that's difficult under the best of circumstances. Um, but, you know, some people don't have an option. That's the way they've got to go. Uh, if you're able, instead of taking public transportation, maybe – um, you know, I've had conversations about some of the ride services that are available, and they're making an effort to try to keep those ride services safe. 
maybe that's an option. But before you get in a taxi, before you get in, and taxis have their own problems if they're being kept clean, ask the driver to make sure that, just say kindly, no, I'm a cancer patient. I just need to ask this question. Have you had any respiratory symptoms or any contact with anybody with this virus over the last two weeks? Ask them nicely and, 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 and try to avoid the problem. But for some situations, there's going to be risk. And patients who are being actively treated for cancer, patients who are undergoing intensive treatment for cancer, there may not be any options. They need to get care. One of the other problems, it will not be business as usual in in cancer clinics, particularly those affiliated with large hospitals. We will have disruption in our care system as a result of this virus, and it will impact cancer care. So if you, if you go every day and you go through a routine and this happens and that happens and it all works out fine, I hope that that's what continues is your experience. It's a very real possibility it will not because the, the, the services will be taxed from other needs, other demands from other people. Your patience, your ability, your willingness to understand that is going to make your care teams work a little bit easier. Everybody, doctors, nurses, support staff, patients, family, everybody's going to be under increased stress going forward the next several weeks or months. We all need to have dig deep into ourselves to have understanding that we're, we gotta be in this together and it's not going to be simple and it's not going to be business as usual, but we need to get to, the, you know, to that other side uh, of, of making sure that people who need treatment and care get the care and treatment they need. Your comment about public transit and seeking alternative ride services if they can points to, I think goes back to flattening the curve. Some people don't have that choice. A lot of people don't have right. that choice. So it brings it back to the responsibilities that the rest of us have to take care of those who need our compassion and our health. And and this is an opportunity for us to all come together. I wanna give you an opportunity to put this in perspective. A lot of people are scared, bad rumors going on there. You have been a clinician for many years and now you work in communicating uh, good information to people and bringing together. Can you? Give us a, a a big capstone kind of view of, of what's ahead. Well, the, the 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 real short version is it's going to be tough. We're going to see a, a lot of disease. We're going to see a lot of tragedy, unfortunately. I, I hope that doesn't happen, but we need to understand that that may happen. Um, one of the things, it, it may not be a direct answer to your question, but one thing that I think is really important I've not only been a, a doc, I've been a patient as well. I've been seriously ill with a life-threatening illness. Uh, and it's all resolved and, and it's part of my past. But I will tell you something that came out of that experience was the incredible humanity of people that you don't even know. I hope that with all the stress and all the difficulty and all the things that we're gonna face and all the personal tragedies we're going to face, that we don't lose, we don't lose the fact that our humanity to each other can sometimes be so incredible. When I was ill, the, the people I didn't even know in random moments, the way they reached out to me to help and offer assistance, whatever it may have been, is something I will never forget. 
And I can only hope that as we go through this together, that we not lose that sense, that core sense and core value uh, of who we are and what we are and what we mean to each other. We can talk about what we need to do to take care of ourselves so we don't harm others. And we can't forget how important that is. And we can't forget how important it is to reach out a hand and help um, in whatever way it's possible at a moment that is uh, uh, something that uh, we hope we don't see, we hope it doesn't happen, it probably will, and something that we hope we never ever see again in our lifetimes. Len Lichtenfeld, Deputy Chief Medical Officer of the American Cancer Society, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.